Cinema Obscura. It was a favorite pastime of movie fans, and it really still is for those films that have been around for a while. The post-movie discussion, perhaps over a pizza or drinks after a movie, of how they did what you witnessed on the big screen, uh, dating all the way back to 1902's A Trip to the Moon. How did they do that? Fred Astaire's Dancing on the Ceiling in 1951's Royal Wedding. How did he dance on the ceiling? How did they come up with that? Also, the classic and notorious crude dinner scene in Alien that people are still talking about. Today's movie is, of course, saturated with CGI, and uh, that seems to be the new standard. But is the bar set too high, and does everything look alike as a result? Now, a special edition of Cinema Obscure. I'm Steve Nicasey, and I'm joined by independent Philly filmmaker Andre Bennett. And uh, Andre uh, introduced today's movie that started a franchise and their special guest. Well, today we're going to be talking about the film that built Troma, 1984's Toxic Avenger, which spawned a mess of sequels and made an independent movie superstar out of Lloyd Kaufman. With us today is my friend, my frequent collaborator, a uh, talented filmmaker and playwright, and uh, a man who has worked with Lloyd Kaufman, which uh, puts him in that strata with Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn. Mark Mackner is here with us today. Hey! Hi, Andre. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you with us. So, Toxic Avenger, you rewatched it recently. I Um, did. Steve, had you seen it before uh, this time? I, I had never seen it. It was my oh, initial wow, really? initial viewing. How I, did you go I, so I, far without watching it? I don't know. Well, the, the 80s were kind of hazy. And uh, <laughs> that was happening there, what, 1985, 84? 80, yeah, yeah, I think somewhere it premiered in 84, and I think it kind of got something of a wide release mm-hmm. a couple years after that. Yeah, and the amazing thing about that movie is you watch it today and you're thinking, boy, they're really relaxed. You know, the first half hour you get the F-bomb, you get a little yeah. nudity going on there, yeah. and some other things happening, and it was kind of a yeah. fast and loose time. Yeah, it starts out kind of like an Andy Sidaris movie, and then it just becomes much more than that. This was the first time I'd seen it in about 10 years, but the last time I watched it was on television. So mm. this is the first time I'd seen it in uncensored. however long, uncensored, yeah. yeah. And mm. I'd seen other trauma movies. I've seen Tromeo and Juliet. Uh, I've seen Surf Nazis Must Die. But revisiting Toxic Avenger now and seeing just how much they did that couldn't be done today, which is funny because they're remaking it. Yeah. yeah. So so what, what are some of those things, Mark, that they couldn't do today? Oh, uh, God, just... The nudity, the language, the gore, and the the tone of it all. Just the sort of happy Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies vibe with the carnage is not something that happens in mainstream movies. Yeah. You have a smoking scene and you get slapped with an R rating immediately. Yeah. I will say, though, this movie in that regard reminds me a bit of Deadpool, or at least... Deadpool reminds me of Toxic Avenger because it's very explicit in as much as you can be now, but it's also very cartoonish and over the top. So I guess in a way, Toxie was Deadpool before there was Deadpool. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. And an anti-hero at the same time. Yeah, although by the end, he's pretty firmly Tromaville's you know, oh, number yeah. one superhero, and they just run with that across yeah, the, the course town. of the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they even made a cartoon, which was my very first exposure to the yeah, whole Toxic cartoon, Avenger property. Video game, yeah, action oh. Toxic Crusaders. So to bring everybody up to date, a nerd who's working at a fitness center has an encounter. Yeah, yeah it's a very classic Silver Age superhero origin story. He's the nerdy guy that's put upon and mocked and ridiculed and some unlikely 
incident with toxic chemicals and where he gets his superpowers. So it has a very traditional superhero origin story, despite the otherwise outrageous framework. That's a good point. I didn't even make the connection with uh, the toxic waste to a lot of the radioactive origin stories yeah. of yeah, all these other heroes like yeah. Spider-Man mm-hmm. and uh, the Fantastic Four. Although there was a connection to the Fantastic Four that I did make, how Toxie later meets this uh, oh, the blind, blind, yes, yeah, the yeah, blind like girl. The thing has the blind girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah exactly. So. Now, uh, we were talking about special effects at the very beginning. Yeah. And didn't have a lot of money to throw around with this movie. I hadn't watched it in maybe 20 years. Like, I watched this a lot in my younger days. And, you know, it's hard to slap on when you got, you know, three-year-olds in the house. But uh, (laughs) it's the first time I watched it in a while. And what struck me is that the effects are good. I mean, these are good (laughs) gore effects. Like, it's not like you watch it and you laugh at it like, oh, this is terrible. They're good. They're respectable, practical effects. Yeah, Mm -hmm. given the budget, I was actually surprised that it held up in that way as much as it did. The restaurant scene, I was actually (laughs) pleasantly surprised um, and and disgusted, but in a good way. The arm getting ripped off Mm -hmm. and the the dude becoming a human Sunday, that especially. Yeah, that that is a classic. Also, the, the classic, which was a controversy in its time with a guide dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was thought John Wick was bad. <laughs> right, right. And and yeah. you, you didn't have the luxury of CGI with a guide dog. So no. you had to get kind of creative and find yeah, a, they slid yeah. a dog or I don't know if that was a prop dog across the floor. <laughs> I'm sure it was a prop dog. Yeah, yeah the, the, the dog had been trained to like, you know, yeah. move like that yeah. close to the floor. Yeah, but yeah, they went That's there. <laughs> they, they did go there. Yeah, They went there a lot in that movie. Yeah. Uh, just with a lot of the language. But every, lot, not yeah. just the effects, though. Like, I was impressed by, like, everything. Like, the acting. And I thought maybe in my memory it was, like, a so bad it's good movie. But I thought it was exactly what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, if any of the performances were over the top, it's because they were directed that way. If yeah. any of the dialogue was corny, it's because it was written that way. And they did everything they wanted to do. And there wasn't anything to mock or ridicule. Like, oh, this is just terrible. It was really well done, I thought. And there were some wild stories connected to the filming of this movie, like a homeless guy grabbed a prop gun Uh and held the crew at bay for a while. I don't Uh know if that's true. Okay. Um, (laughs) And also, Jarlsberg cheese was fed exclusively to the crew, which got tired of it after a while. I would imagine The cheese sandwiches. (laughs) So this movie was written and directed by multiple people, but... One man had his fingers in pretty much every process here, and that's Lloyd Kaufman. And you and I have had the pleasure of working with Lloyd. Yeah, we have. We go way back. We met Lloyd first at the Troma Dance Film Festival in Atlantic City one year. Uh, Yeah, actually, I think it was Asbury Park. You're right. Yes. It's it was, Asbury yeah, Park. Because they had the reception at Asbury Lanes. That's absolutely really cool. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But yeah, but, we did yeah. have our first encounter with Lloyd there. So we went to this festival. It's like a bunch of us. And I remember this really well because it was my birthday weekend. And the last <laughs> day of the festival, the headline feature they had that year is Human Centipede. Yes. We decided to go to lunch and figured we'll be done in time. We did not get done in time. We get back to the theater. The movie has already started. But Lloyd's in the lobby signing, yeah. so we get a chance to meet him. Oh, okay. So on the upside, we never got to see Human Centipede. Which is a I never got to pretty, see it. pretty serious cult movie. No. Yeah, I may you have know, to. I haven't point. seen it either, to be honest. I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I heard the first one isn't the worst. The third one is. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's... speaking of sequels, how many movies connected to Toxic Avenger? A lot. Well, there it created are... the Tronaville movie universe, mm-hmm. right? Yes, before yeah. Marvel did it. Yeah. In fact, I think Stan Lee is a narrator in one of them. I believe you're right. Yeah, and there's three Toxic Avenger sequels. Yes. And then there's also all the other affiliated movies like Sergeant Kabuki Man. Right. And the first movie is in for a reboot now? Yeah, they are making a big-budget reboot of The Toxic Avenger. Legendary is doing that. Uh, Macon Blair, the guy who uh, starred in Blue Ruin and made I Don't Feel at Home in This World, he's directing it. Honestly, if you'd ask me, I'd peg him to play Melvin. So who knows? Maybe he'll cast himself. (laughs) He looks that part, but uh, he also has kind of an offbeat sensibility. So a lot of people are down with that choice, and I'm like, okay, cool. And Lloyd's, I guess, giving it his blessing. I'm sure they gave him a nice amount of money, and he therefore has to bless it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, but at the Truman Ann's Film Festival, I gave Lloyd an early beta version of a movie that I'd made, and then years later, he would come and star in the sequel to that movie. Yes. Whether he knew it or not. <laughs> I'm not sure if he ever watched that screener, but he yeah. ended up being in a sequel to that movie. Real quick, how do we get him again? Because I think Ted, that went, uh, went back uh, to Ted. Another yeah. mutual friend, local filmmaker by the name of Ted Mayring, who has made Bloodbath in the House of Knives and Revenge of the Devil Bat, which is coming soon to video. He knew Lloyd because Lloyd had been in his movie, Bloodbath in the House of Knives, and he set me up with Lloyd's people, so he made that happen. My mom paid for Lloyd to be in the movie, so my mom's credited as a producer. <laughs> I, think, I think I also contributed to Lloyd as well. Yeah, yeah, yes. I believe Andre did. Andre did you make the credits? He did. I am a yeah. producer. Yeah, yes. he is. Yeah, Andre okay. and my mom are co-producers. <laughs> I didn't have the money, but yeah. Uh, so Ted set that up, and Ted was also the DP for this film, Daisy Durkins versus The Bloodthirsty Beast of Barren Pines. It's a mouthful, but that's the full <laughs> title. That's a lot on a marquee. That's coming to uh, Amazon Prime on May 1st and Hulu on May 14th. That's a little plug for my own work there. But Lloyd is in the movie. And if you've never met Lloyd or worked with Lloyd, he is a live wire. He is (laughs) a dynamo. Like 90% of our budget went to Lloyd Kaufman. The rest of it was everybody worked for free. And (laughs) Andre brought Dunkin' Donuts. That was our craft services. Right. Uh, (laughs) But I thought maybe he would come in and he'd worked with, you know, bigger name directors and maybe he would big league us or whatever. But he was super down to earth and cool and he treated us with, you know, respect and kindness and he didn't tell me anything was stupid or he wouldn't do that or that was unprofessional or you should try it this way. He let me make my own thing and he didn't second guess me or whatever and he went along with whatever we told him to do. We had him do fight scenes and he was up for anything we only shot with him for one day but we made the most of it we got him in three locations we made him late for his train back to new york and he was cool about that even <laughs> yeah very, yeah, very yeah. positive experience absolutely yeah it was we uh, we shot in the woods in roxborough yes and that was that was a lot of fun because there during were, a heat wave yeah yes exactly there were a lot of takes on that one but he would bring something new to each one which yes was improv ad lib yes. like he is an improv genius uh-huh. like uh-huh. you have something on the script and he gives you the gist of it but he adds his own you know flavor to it yeah that's the magic these days 
Yeah. 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 The cool thing about Lloyd is that he will do that for independent filmmakers. He will appear in your movie for a very small fee. Yeah. Or even um, just transportation. So as long as you can afford that. If you can uh, get a hold of him, he's he's kind of like the uh, the indie film A team in that respect. That yeah, sounds, <laughs> sounds like a lot. Then we ended up seeing him in Guardians of the Galaxy because yes, his protege James Gunn uh, made those movies, and Gunn came up through the Trauma Factory, and he always gives Lloyd a little appearance, or mostly, usually in Super, he has a cameo as well. Lloyd is very much this fiercely independent, gung ho about not really caring who he offends kind of guy, as far as in film. I read a couple of his, well, I bought a couple of his books from him personally. I read them and his sensibilities as far as like film belie the fact that he is a total professional. So Mm. he's this guy who has a lot of advice. Like Mark said, he won't tell you how to make your film. He will give you advice just about the business as he knows it. Oh, yeah. Even if it runs counter to Troma itself. Yeah, he will dissuade you from selling your movie to Troma because we're making this movie with him. And I said, hey, maybe we could release it through Troma. (laughs) He's like, don't do that. He's like, we'll rip you off. Like, you'll never see a dime. That's that's what he told me. Honesty. Yeah, (laughs) very honest. It all began with a toxic adventure. We have a clip. We do. This is the scene where a scientist is giving a lecture on what they know about the quote-unquote mind. Hero. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. With us this afternoon is Dr. Merton Snodberger from the Garden State Cerebro Reflex Research Center. Uh, can you tell me, sir, is it true that the monster only attacks bad people? Yeah, yeah. Since only bad, evil people have been destroyed by the monster, I would have to answer your question. Yeah. From traces that have been found on the scenes of the crime and analyzed, we have determined that whatever it is, this monster has been exposed to toxic chemical waste. It is also highly probable that this monster may have developed a very basic instinct which draws him, or should I say, commands him to destroy evil. <laughs> From the Toxic Avengers. <laughs> yes. You were saying before about how there are moments in cinema where you ask, how do they do that? I asked that question myself rewatching it. How could they make a movie today as gleefully offensive as the Toxic <laughs> Avenger? Because there are so many taboos that are... Not so much broken, but outright defenestrated. <laughs> right, it's, right. Yeah. It's that kind of movie, but the tone of it, like you said, it is cartoonish, but there's also kind of a cynicism to it in a way because every movie, whether it knows it or not, has some sort of point of view. Mm. And on one hand, yeah, it's got an ecological bent with the toxic waste. Sure. But it's also very distrusting of any sort of authority. That's true. Uh, the mayor, yeah, the mayor. The mayor's a criminal mm. and the police chief is a literal Nazi. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the cool kids are murderers. Yeah. So it's one of those movies where it's not so much making fun of everything that it is, but it's also it feels like it's angry about everything. But it kind of works it out in an interesting way. Yeah, it felt to me like the closest we'd ever get to John Waters making a superhero movie. It had his sort of vibe to it. Yeah, I was just actually thinking about John Waters this morning in relation to that tonally. Although John Waters ended up going respectable and... I don't think Boyd will ever really do that. 
One thing that impressed me about the Toxic Avenger was there's a number of appearances of Toxie before you see his face. I forgot that there are like several scenes he appears in where they don't show his face and they like save it for the big reveal, you know, the shock moment where you see it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. I'd noticed that, although the reveal fell a little flat to me. I didn't feel like it was as big of a shock, but it may have been just because I'm so used to Toxie's yeah. face. It could be that. Yeah. I did like how Melvin sounds like Urkel, but yeah. even more indecipherable. But then Toxie has perfect diction when he's not (laughs) murdering criminals. Well, it's like in the 67 Spider-Man cartoon, like they clearly got a different voice actor for Peter and Spidey. Oh, yeah. He puts the mask on and Spider-Man has like a much, much deeper, manlier voice than Peter. Yeah, or uh, Bud Collier in the uh, Superman yeah. cartoons yeah, and the radio show. Going way, way back on that one. <laughs> I've been rewatching watching those. Yeah. They still hold up. Yeah. Um, no kids in this booth. I'm not super into a lot of gross stuff, but in the end, when he rips the mayor's stomach open. Oh, yeah, into, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's well, <laughs> that's cool. There's a lot of balance going on there, though. That's, you get that kind of stuff, and then cool. you also get the comedy in there. Yeah, it's a landmark of uh, independent cinema. It and is. rightfully put Lloyd on the map. So how to see it? The Toxic Avenger is available on DVD, and I believe it's on Blu-ray. It's uh, on Prime right now, too. It is on Prime. You can see it on Prime. And Troma also has a streaming service, so I'm pretty certain you can watch it there as well. It's one of those movies that, deserving of its kind of cult emeritus status. Absolutely. It's, uh, no, it's a must. Yeah. Generations of cult movie fans will be able to find it. Put it on your list. I think that's a wrap. Thank you, Steve. And Mark, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Andre. I had a great time. And how to keep in touch with everybody. Yes, Cinema Obscura is on Twitter at C Obscura Pod. That is at C Obscura Pod. We're there. We're talking about movies that we cover here. We're talking about cult movies in general. We're taking your questions and your suggestions. And we just love talking about movies. So reach out to us on Twitter at C Obscura Pod. And thank you again, Mark. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm Steve Nikhazy, along with Andre Bennett. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced in the KYW studios in Philadelphia. Cinema Obscura. For more shows, check out the Radio.com app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for listening. It's just that I have a rash on my face. A rash? You mean acne? Yeah, 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 that's it.